had the sex talk with, with my dad uh, before, so he was kind of like just gunning from the hip, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I was putting clothes in the laundry in our basement, and he just casually walked up to me, you know, like you would do when you're putting clothes in a laundry. And uh, he just said, hey, um, your mom and I were talking. That's bad whenever that starts that way. Um, and, like, you're getting older, and, you know, so if you ever have any questions about, you know, stuff, like, you can always talk to me. And that was it. Like, that was, I didn't even know, like, are we talking about laundry? Like, we talking about penises and vagina? What are we talking about, Dad? Like, I don't, so, at any rate, hopefully you had a little bit better. Uh, I want to start off this morning by asking the question, which artist said it better? Okay, I'm going to put up two sets of lyrics. One is from the crooner, John Mayer, and another is from rapper King Solo. And uh, there's a lot of overlap, uh, and so we're going to see who said it better. One mile to every inch of your skin like porcelain, one pair of candy lips and your bubblegum tongue. Something about the way your hair falls in your face. I love the shape you take when crawling towards the pillowcase. You tell me where to go, and though I might leave to find it, I'll never let your head hit the, your head hit the bed without my hand behind it. You're like, I didn't think you could talk about that in church. John Mayer, your body is a wonderland. Who said it better, John Mayer or King Solo? King Solo. I'm going to climb that peach, that apple tree. I'm going to caress its fruit because it's sweet to me. Your breath like mint is cool all mine. Your tongue and lips like the finest wine. Your dove eyes are veiled by your hair as it flows down onto twin flowers blooming in a spring fashion show. The sweet fragrant curves of your body invites me stay until dawn breathes its light and night slips away. Left hand behind your head. Muscles are hardened. My lover has welcomed me into her garden. You allowed to say that in church? Now, I'm not going to ask you who said it better, but I will ask you who said it first. You see, everything that King Solo just wrote is actually King Solomon from Song of Songs. It's in the Bible, people. That's literally portions of Song of Solomon chapter 4 and Song of Solomon chapter 7. I made a couple of pieces rhyme, but if you read it, I promise you will see that and much more in your Bible. Uh, this morning, I had the privilege of uh, sharing the stage with a good friend of mine, Sarah Young. Uh, I've known Sarah and Lance for the last number of years, and Sarah is a, a licensed sex therapist. Uh, she Used to be on staff with an organization called Winning at Home, uh, has recently gone on staff with Focus on the Family, and she's actually going to be talking to us today about the types of communication we need to have around sex and sexuality. And I'm super excited about that, and I'm just going to kick us off basically with three things that I believe God wants us, needs us, desires that we would hear from him about sex. All right? Number one. Sexual intercourse is good. Sexual intercourse is good. All right? It's God's design. It's a gift that he gives to humanity. He intends that we would enjoy and celebrate sex. 
You're like, how do we know that's true? Well, because read Song of Solomon. That's how we know that it's true. All right? It is uh, an incredibly erotic love poem between two lovers as they prepare for their honeymoon night. Prepare for a life of sexual enjoyment. It will not be hard to read between the lines as you're reading Song of Solomon. King Solo knew how to throw down some words. Just saying. Number two. Sexual intercourse is not ultimate. Sexual intercourse is good. In fact, if I were to go back to number one, I wouldn't just say it's good. I would say it's very good. Now, I would say it's very good not because I'm telling you that, but because that's what the Bible says. In fact, in Genesis 1 and 2, that's when we first learn about how God creates everything, including Adam and Eve, and the first marriage ceremony where God creates Eve from Adam's side and then brings him as a father, bringing, her, bringing his daughter down the aisle to meet Adam for the first time. Adam breaks into the very first poetry ever recorded in Scripture when he sees Eve. And in chapter 1, God is creating the world and he says it's good, it's good, it's good. And then God says after he's created Adam, it's not good. <laughs> Excuse me. It's not good. Which is a little bit like I'm a man. So like that feels a little like, God, why would you have to say it then? Like we were already in the world. He's like, it's not good. So then that's when Eve comes along and then God doesn't just say it's good. God says it's very good. He says that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. He's talking about sexually. And they will become one flesh. Very uh, literal understanding. But it's not only literal, right? It's not just a penis in a vagina. It's also the physical and all the other pieces that are beyond physical, the emotional and mental and everything else. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Sexual intercourse is very good, but sexual intercourse is not ultimate. And, and this is a really important point that I think we need to understand. Uh, in, in Western Christianity, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, we have actually elevated marriage as an idol beyond something which the Bible describes it to be. And so what that means is, therefore, then if I'm not sexually active, then I am unfulfilled or I am not fully fulfilled and maybe if I can finally get married I'll finally be fully fulfilled sexually which means that I'm a full human being now well if you're LGBTQ and you read scripture the way that the church has understood it for the last 2,000 years marriage isn't an option what are you supposed to do if sexual fulfillment is the only way to be truly fulfilled? What if you're straight but you're single and you haven't been married yet and maybe you'll never be married? What, what do you do if sexual fulfillment is the only way to be fully fulfilled in life? You see, we've elevated sex and marriage to a place that I don't think God intends it to be. Uh, there is a gal, her name is Bridget Eileen. She wrote an article, it's a mouthful of the title, but it's a good title. A Celibate Lesbian's Cold Hard Look at Sexual Immorality in the Church. She says this, and I think that it's really, really insightful. She said, there's an unpopular reality when it comes to the sexual ethic of the Bible. It's that 99% of the time that you want to have sex, you don't get to. Period. Out on a bumble date and feeling horny? Nope. Got a cute girl at the office who's married to another man? Nope. 
in love with your husband's best friend? Nope. There is something insatiable about sexual desire. People always want more. And herein lies one failure of the modern church. We've taught a generation of believers to satisfy their sexual cravings through marriage. We've taught them to fulfill their sexuality by waiting for that singular moment, that special day when they can finally say yes to their passions. But we should have taught them to do the opposite, to accept the no, to fulfill their sexuality apart from sex. Because the truth is, there is no satisfaction of the sexual by the sexual. Marriage can't fulfill our sexual passions any more than a birthday could satisfy a child's desire for toys. Friends, that is absolute truth. I'd love to tell you that, yes, no, you just, you know, get married and, and then, like, all of your sexual desires will be completely fulfilled. But that's just not the way that it works in our broken world. Our sin programs us to continue to look for more and more. And what I thought would fulfill me doesn't fulfill me or satiate me in the way that I would have expected or hoped. And that's why, friends, it's so important to understand that sex is not the ultimate. Uh, Jesus was a man in his early 30s who never had sex. And he was completely fulfilled in what God had called him to do in the life that he lived. And if that's the stage that God has you right now, then that's a good place to be. Now, Sex is very good. It's God's creation, God's design. We're not poo-pooing sex. In fact, quite honestly, maybe some of you grew up in a church where the only time sex got talked about, it got talked about as this thing to avoid and run away from, and it's dirty, and, uh, and maybe when you're married, you know, but don't talk about it because yeah, that'd be weird and awkward. And, like, all right. and so we kind of grew up with this understanding or idea that sex is something that at least in the church is like this thing to keep a secret, keep hidden, not talk about but that's not at all what the bible does i don't think that's what god desires for us god expects and hopes that we would have genuine good biblical conversations about what it means to live as a sexual being created by god as a sexual being in our society right and let's be honest it is not easy to try to follow what scripture asks of us desires of us wants for us in our world we hear all kinds of different Thoughts on what we're supposed to do with our bodies, right? How we're supposed to use them, what we're supposed to give into. Sex is very good, but sex is not ultimate. The last thing I want to say is that sex is very powerful. Sex is very powerful. God designed it because of its very power to be experienced within a covenant marriage relationship. God designed a covenant marriage, which is intended to be permanent, as the only place strong enough to be able to hold the power of sex. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to 1 Corinthians 6. If you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. We've got a couple folks that would love to grab a Bible, hand it to you, you can follow along. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, Paul is writing to the church that is in the city of Corinth. Corinth is like the Las Vegas of cities in the ancient world, okay? Uh, it was known for all kinds of crazy things that you could do, especially sexually. They had the Temple of Aphrodite where you could go down and just get a prostitute, right? 
no big deal. In fact, it was so rampant that even folks within the church assumed that it was just normal part of daily living. And so Paul is writing to the church to talk to them about a few things. Now, one of the things that Paul is going to start with is a couple of proverbs that the Corinthians had. These were Corinthian proverbs. Everybody would have known them. They were pretty prominent within the church. And so Paul is saying, hey, you guys talk about this. Let me explain it to you understanding it from a biblical perspective. So we start in verse 12. He quotes one of their Proverbs. I have the right to do anything. Okay, That's one of the Corinthian Proverbs. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything, Paul says, is beneficial. In other words, you might have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial for you, Christian. And then he requotes it. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, he says. In other words... You might have the right to eat that cookie, but if you can't not eat that cookie, maybe you shouldn't be eating the cookie. Does that make sense? If you are unable to not partake in whatever it is, maybe you shouldn't be partaking in it. Yeah, you have the right to, but if you can't actually say no, then you need to start looking at why that is. Now, he's going to go on now and quote a second Corinthian proverb. He says... Uh, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. You see how that's in quotes? That's another Corinthian proverb. Food for the stomach and stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Uh, this is kind of like saying um, food for the stomach, right? When I'm hungry, I'm going to eat up. When I'm thirsty, I'm going to drink up. When I'm horny, I'm going to hook up. That's basically what this proverb was saying, right? If you're hungry, that's what your stomach's for, then food is there to satiate it. That, that's what Paul is, he's like saying, this is the proverb you have. That's why folks will go to prostitutes all the time, like, yo, it's not a big deal. It's just my body. You see, the Corinthians had this false understanding that our body didn't matter. Our body was going to die, and when it dies, like, it's just gone. The soul is what matters, so whatever we do with our body, like you're hungry, eat. You're thirsty, drink. You're horny, hook up. Like that's just what you should do because it's just the body. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what God desires for you. He says the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. In other words, look, Jesus was bodily resurrected. Your body matters. God gave you your body. What you do with your body is important. It's not just about the soul, it's about our physical body as well. All right, well, so far I probably haven't said anything to you that you haven't already heard if you grew up going to church. I get that. It's important that we understand it, though. We're going to continue reading. Look with me in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Paul is quoting Genesis there. We'll get back to that in a second. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He says, look, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin. And when you come to Jesus and invite him into your life, asking him to forgive you and give you new life, God says, look, 
Jesus has bought you. You've been purchased at a price. You've been redeemed. Therefore, your body doesn't belong to you anymore. Now it belongs to God. And therefore, we have to honor God with our bodies. Our bodies matter. We see back in uh, verse 18. It says, flee from sexual immorality. That word there, sexual immorality, it's the word in Greek, pornea. You can understand where we get the word porn or pornography from. It comes straight from this word, pornea. Pornea is uh, actually kind of a junk drawer word. You ever had a junk drawer in your house growing up? You know what I'm talking about? It's that drawer where, like, there's, like, papers and sticky notes and a, a, a random quarter and a few nickels. And there's also probably a pair of scissors and rubber bands and maybe a razor. You're like, why is a razor in here? Because it's a junk drawer. That's why. Like, just random stuff gets thrown into the junk drawer. This word, pornea, is kind of like a junk drawer word for any type of sex outside of marriage. All right, that, that's what the word means. It's talking about uh, sex with someone not your spouse after you're married, sex with someone before you're married, uh, prostitution, um, oral sex, anal sex, vaginal sex, jacking your partner off, you name it. Yeah, we're going there. Welcome to PG-13, folks. That, that's what the word intends. And, and what Paul says is, look, we got to flee Sexual immorality. You need to flee a pornea. I worked on that for a long time. I expect you to laugh. <laughs> what I want to do, though, is take one second to look at why Paul quotes Genesis in this passage. Now, he's talking about prostitution, but the application isn't just simply with prostitutes. It's with anybody that we create a one flesh union with. Right? He says that we unite ourselves to the person that we have sex with. Uh, this gets all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 where it says that uh, as God presided over the very first marriage covenant when he brings Adam and Eve together and they leave father and mother and then they unite with one another and they become one flesh. Two people uniting together in sexual activity that then creates a one flesh bond. Now, uh, the word here in the Greek for this uniting is uh, a word that is glue. Okay? They use the word unite. They could very well have used the word glue. Okay? Um, that's what God did when he created sex. God wanted us to understand how sex works. That sex is actually uh, not only a biological act. Okay? It's not just physical. Sex is physical, but it's also emotional and mental. It's a spiritual glue that bonds two people together as one. Let me try to illustrate that uh, with a couple of blocks of wood here, okay? A couple blocks of wood, all right, we got pink, right? We got blue, right? So you got the boy and the girl, right? And they're hanging out. Now, they're not doing what you think they're doing, okay? There's no glue involved, all right? They're just like, because you can be friends, right? Boys and girls can be friends, hang out, play, talk, da-da-da-da, that's awesome, right? When you bring sex into the picture, it glues. That's what sex is designed by God to do. That's why it's so important that it's actually connected to and experienced within a covenant relationship. right? Because a covenant is intended to be unbreakable. That's God's design and desire for marriage. And so sex is awesome because within that, it's actually bringing it together, holding it together, strengthening it. The problem, of course, comes when, when we take our sex, our sexuality, 
and, and we decide we're going to use it outside of. You see, in that scenario, it winds up actually becoming dangerous. It's kind of like fire. Right? you got a nice fire inside a fireplace that, that can warm up your house. You can toast some marshmallows, make yourself some s'mores. It's nice, right? But if one of those logs falls out of the fireplace, it's going to set your carpet on fire and your drapes on fire and your whole house on fire and people are going to die. Like that's what happens when you don't take care of fire. The union, the sexual union actually is a glue that bonds us emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. Inside marriage, it's awesome. It helps us stay together. But what happens when we do it in a space where we're not actually connected to a covenant marriage relationship? Well, almost every single time we wind up seeing it broken apart. And you see what happens to the two pieces that have been glued together? What happens is when, when that... When that relationship falls apart, that bond winds up meaning that some blue gets left on the pink and some pink gets left on the blue and little pieces of yourself wind up getting lost. Uh, that's what Jesus, Paul, the Bible describes as the sexual union, what it's actually doing. This is why it's so painful. And if you've ever been in a relationship before and you've been sexually active, like, you understand when it breaks apart, there's, there's, it's real pain. Now, we talk about it all the time, like, I ain't no thing, it's just my body, like, I don't, like, I can do what I want with my body. But you know that that is all words and no truth. Every single one of us understands that. Because that's how God designed it to be. That's why God cares about how we use and utilize sex. Now, um, I want to acknowledge something, okay, just before I ask Sarah to come up and share with us. Um, 80% of Christians... According to statistics, have or will have sex before they're married. Uh, most, not most, every single one of us in this room walks into this place with a broken sexuality. We all do. Some of it's the choices that we've made in the past. Some of it's choices that we are currently in the middle of. Some of it is things that have happened to us that we're out of our control. There is real pain that we carry into this place. And I need you to know, God wants you to know, that he understands that and is here with you. Uh, God is not here looking at you with judgy eyes. God is here with his arms open, wild, open wide, calling you and saying, come to me. Come to me for forgiveness, for rest, for care, for healing. Come to me and trust yourself to me. I need you to know this. I want you to know this. What you have done, your good works, they don't qualify you to be a Christian. The mistakes that you've made, God wants you to know, they don't disqualify you either. We find our full identity in the resurrected life of Jesus. And when we come to Jesus and offer ourselves to him... He begins to knit us back together. Even with our broken sexuality, he does this. It's God's passion to do this kind of work. I know that there's folks who right now, uh, you're regretting that you showed up today. You don't want anybody to know, right? So you're holding a stiff upper lip. 
you're acting normal, but this is really painful, and you feel a great deal of shame. I promise you that shame is not coming from God. It's not to say that God doesn't move through his spirit to convict us, because conviction is actually something that is often helpful, right? It brings us back into a right relationship with God. It helps us to begin to live and experience the life that God always intended and designed us for. What's actually going to bring us the kind of joy and happiness that God actually desires for our lives. And so right now in this moment, I just want you to experience God's love. Because I'm sure a lot of us are feeling pain and shame. And I include myself in that because my sexuality is broken as well. So I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to invite Sarah to come up and share some thoughts on what it looks like to communicate about our sexuality. Father God, you are a God who does not stand far off. You are a God who comes running towards us. You are a God who opens your arms with love and grace. You said in your word, God, that if we have this much sin, you have that much more grace. If we have that much sin, you have that much more grace because that's who you are. Your grace is endless. And God, you, you don't have, you didn't create sex as a way to shame us. God, you created it as a way for us to enjoy some things, to learn more about you. You created us as sexual beings knowing that many of us might not be able to express our sexuality in ways we might desire, and yet, God, you remind us that it is not in expressing our sexuality that we find ultimate fulfillment. It is actually in a relationship with you. So, God, some folks right now, uh, they're running to you, asking you to, to hold them and heal them. God, some are struggling right now because they just feel such pain or shame, and God, let them know that you are with them, that you see them. Jesus, we, we need you. Come and heal us, we ask in your beautiful and powerful name. Amen. So I get the privilege of talking to you about sex and communication. And I want to I tell you a little bit about what my work has been like as a sex therapist because some people have no compass for that except if they've seen Meet the Fockers where there are like liberator pads and statues all around and that's not at all what it is. Essentially what my, what my job is as a sex therapist is to help people figure out how to communicate about sex. Truly, truly. And especially in the Christian realm because um, the church just historically has not held um, sexual issues or sexual brokenness well for that matter. Oftentimes it's been met with a deer in the headlights kind of look. Um, so I'm so grateful for this kind of context and the leadership of Torrent to bring this conversation to the front because we know the things that all of you are hearing from culture. We know the things that you're seeing on the internet. We know so, so intensely what the world is screaming at us about sex and God's voice in it is so healthy and so good, but it's not promoted enough. So I, I love that this is happening at this church. That's really fantastic. So I want to talk about three realms of communication with sex, okay? Communication with myself, communication with God, and communication with my spouse, for those of us that applies. But let's hang out first in that communication with self, because so often that shame that Torn talked about, that's the very thing that gets in the way of me communicating with me. Guilt will fall into the realm of there's something wrong with what I've done. Shame, however, takes it into a whole other realm of, there's something so deeply wrong with who I am. 
And that's the thing about sex and sexual stuff and sexual, when I miss it sexually, when I go outside of God's plan, is that the enemy is just waiting, waiting for that moment to come in and pounce and put this ring of lies around me of now, now there's something defective. Now there's something so wrong with who I am. So relaxing against that truth that Torin prayed about the forgiveness of Christ. And he's like, hey, let me, let me enter in with you right where you are. But my question is, do you know where you are with all of this stuff? So middle schoolers, I want to start with you because I know you're in the room, okay? And I have a sixth grader and eighth grader. And I'm wondering right now, what are you saying to yourself about body? What are you saying to yourself about sex? Okay, because I know you hear a ton of stuff at school and in the locker rooms and there's those like ads that YouTube that creep in, like that happened to my son the other day. There was an ad for free V-Bucks. I don't know what that is. You probably know what that is. Um, and he said, Mom, I, I clicked on it and all of a sudden there were boobs. And he just agonized for over, I think, 24 hours because he's like, I didn't mean to get there. All of a sudden it was there and I got an erection and I'm so sorry. And I said, buddy, that's so normal. So guys, that's normal. That's normal if you see things and you get aroused. That longing is good. You thinking girls are pretty and have pretty bodies and other things. That's good. God designed you to be attracted to, to, to people. Um, and you know, that sometimes we don't hear that. We hear that it's wrong or that it's gross or I'm a man now because you know, this happens, whatever else. But it is so important for you to have truth in who you are as young men and young women, and especially for you to hear that sex is good. Sex isn't just don't, don't do that. That is bad if you are drawn to people in a sexual way. Um, so I'm hoping that there's somebody that you can have a good conversation with about sex or about your body or any questions you have. And guys, you know, you and your penises, ladies, what about us? Young ladies, those of us who... I'm still talking middle schoolers. All the rest of you chime in and think about how this was for you in middle school, okay? So ladies, when that period comes and suddenly there are fluids and there are scents and you think, what's wrong with my body? This is so gross. If you don't ever hear anything other than, oh, this is so gross, how is that going to shift into being this beautiful part of your body that you share with your husband when you're married? So it's really important for you to know now what is true about your body and all of it being good and healthy and all of that. And I know that if that's an uncomfortable conversation for you to have with your parents, that you have some rock star youth leaders here to talk through. So ask them questions. You can ask them vagina questions. You can ask them testicle questions. All the things you can. That doesn't embarrass God, by the way. He's not, he's not thrown by the fact that you have a period. He's not thrown by the fact that you are insecure about one boob being bigger than the other. That's all really normal. So feel free to ask the questions, okay? Now, for the rest of us, really, really, what started to happen when you were in middle school and you became awakened sexually, started going through puberty? And what did you carry into high school? So high schoolers and young adults, what are you doing with that right now? What sorts of things are you hearing about the size of your body? Should there be more inches where there are not? Should there be less inches where there are? Can you seduce with a bit of cleavage? Is that a goal you have for attention? Because the world, again, will scream one way at you that sex is supposed to be done. And it, hicks, it hitches so tightly onto the core of your beauty in a way that God never intended. 
Never intended. Your ability to seduce somehow then puts you in a good place in this hierarchy of femininity. We're awful as women sometimes in how we judge one another and how we hate on one another. Um, and God's saying, oh my word, <laughs> this is way too small of a box to perceive yourself through. You're so much more than a sexual object. You're so much more than a pretty face, a hot body, whatever that is. So what is your standard right now for how you're defining your beauty and your femininity? Is it a guy's response? Is it a guy's asking you out? There's some of us who have traded sex for love, most definitely. And I, you know, I have one in my house right now who she's got blue on her, and she is hurting. She's got some blue on her, and she is hurting. And if she could go back and not, right? So if you're in a spot where you haven't, please hear us that it is worth protecting what you have here. And if you are in a spot where you're blue and you've got pink on you or you're pink and you have blue on you, um, God's got paint. He does. He's got loads of pink paint. He's got loads of blue paint that he's made out of pure white because that's what he is. He's like, yeah, i got tons of white robes to cover your stuff. Tons. Tons. Okay, so your sexual brokenness, your sexual oops, it doesn't define you. It does not. Okay, so... But let's also talk about porn for a minute, because some of us Christians were like, no, I'm not going to have sex till I'm married. But yes, I am going to look at porn, and I'm going to masturbate, because that kind of takes the edge off, right? Well, this is one of Satan's biggest lies, that this is a, a good avenue to relieve your stress. And so often, ladies and gentlemen, not just guys, so often your average age of exposure is 11. 11. For, for goodness sakes, guard your eyes, guard your mind. It is a horrid villain that just invades and gets in your space. Um, when that Corinthians passage talks about like, yeah, I can do anything I want, but I don't want to be mastered by anything. This is how sexual addiction creeps in because it becomes um, a sexual way to deal with every suddenly, suddenly every non-sexual reality in life. I'm stressed. I look at porn. I'm lonely. I look at porn. I'm hungry. I look at porn. I can't sleep. I look at porn. So it becomes this, this fallback of, okay, this is a good life management strategy, I guess, except that it's way too expensive for your head, for your heart, and for your body. And the sexual dysfunction that comes later as a result of interacting with a computer in that way, P.S. your brain can't tell the difference between an image on the computer and a live person. It locks in in the same way because orgasmic response does that. Um, it's just dangerous. Um, it's like, um, okay, so it's like dirty, dirty rainwater, you know, like when it rains and there's a drain in front of your house and there's the dirty water with the leaves and the cat pee and whatever else in that water. You can drink that stuff to quench your thirst. It'll like do the job, but it might poison you. Probably will. There's all kinds of crap in that water. That's what porn is. It, it like quench the thirst for the moment, mind you, until you're thirsty again, which will be real quick. So protecting your heart, protecting your penis, protecting your vagina, protecting your head, your eyes, your whole being. It is worth not going the route of porn. So um, when it comes to more sexual communication, me with me. You know, Torin, Torin is onto something really huge that doesn't get said very often, that we all have a sexual brokenness that comes between, you know, comes from living between Eden and heaven. You know, it's just broken right here. But there's some of us that come into here with a really specific brand of sexual woundedness. 
whether that is from something that was taken from us or from a history that we've lived or from how sex was presented. So if I try to fix that in another person or if I try to fix that in my spouse, that, well, when I get married, everything will be okay. Sex, sex will be great. Yeah, I'm just going to sideline here a minute. I had a couple once, they were so angry because they said, we did it the right way. We waited and we're having so much pain during sex and it isn't fair. God was supposed to bless us. That's not a guarantee, right? We, we, we talk about like sex like it's a right and, and it's not, like Torn said, it's not the ultimate. It's, it's a wedding gift from God, but it's not, an, it's not the ultimate. But um, for her and for all of us, that's not about us. That's not even about me and God. That is about me first. And I need to know what's going on with me and my woundedness and my stuff. So if I have some anxiety about my body and places that should be smaller that are not or places that sh I wish were bigger and are not, just like just my physical body, like I'm taking that into the bedroom. If I have issues with um, uh, being pretend with my husband, um, you know, just kind of uh, not being authentic with something, that's going to come into the bedroom with me. If I'm not good at communication and I am resentful about something or I have a little bug up my rump about something, that's going to come into the bedroom with me. So what is going on me with me? And am I able to name that or am I busy blaming or shaming or something? Because that's where the good communication starts is me with my own heart. And the honesty of like, okay, so... So I did go too far sexually with that person. What was going on for me? Okay, I was seeking attention. I was wanting affirmation. I was wanting to feel loved. I was terrified of being rejected. That's the deep heart stuff, not the behavior. The behavior is just a symptom externally. What's going on in the heart? That's where the best communication starts. And once I have more clarity around that stuff, I don't, I don't go here to lance with that. I go here. I go to God with that. Again, God is not embarrassed when it comes to issues of sexual stuff. Right, so I have a yeast infection. God, this is really frustrating. I feel disgusting and I can't connect with my husband, right? Or I'm perimenopausal. Things are drying up. That's frustrating. I can talk to God about that. Okay, guys, getting an erection every time you go down the hallway, like, God, I, this is, mm. can you just be with me here? God wants to be in every part. Enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? God says, I come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. That includes your sex life. That includes your sexual self. He wants in. Because think about this for a moment. The relationship between a husband and a wife is the closest sliver of what God is wanting relationally that we get this side of heaven. Okay, so we have... Um, a husband and a wife engaging in sexual intercourse, right? That's meant to be just a tiny sliver of this, right? So picture this with me, if you will. Um, okay, the man rising up, right? The woman spread wide, the man coming in, and them having this oneness, 
okay? And Christ saying, hey, I rose up for you. I want to come deeply into you and experience the, the oneness here. You know, men, guys, that can be a little, a little bit of a strange visual for you. I get it, right? But truly, that's the picture. That's the metaphor. It's like, let me in deeply to those secret parts of you. That's the kind of access he's wanting. Not, if you behave, then I will like you. That's not the kind of God he is. So for me to be honest with God about this deep fear of rejection that I have has everything to do with my femininity, everything to do with how I use sex, everything to do with my sex life. For me to pay attention to the fact that I am lonely and I'm longing for attention and to be chosen, that matters to God. And even the complication of, like, yes, I know you're good, and I know you can fulfill me and all those things, but I would like to have a human next to me to hug me and make me feel good. Even that struggle, letting him in there, he can handle that. It's out of that place of communication and healing with him, then that this, sorry, that, that this can work better, Okay. Again, if I have stuff and I run to Lance to make it okay, or a good sexual experience to make it okay, that's not going to do anything. It might give temporary relief for the moment, but it's not going to bring any deep healing. Okay? So what my communication with Lance can look like around sexual issues and what spouses, what your communication can look like, is, um, you know, some of the pieces of, hey, I have this, this going on, my, on in my heart, and um, this time I'm talking to the Lord about it, and I just wanted to let you in on that. Yeah, there's some of us that that conversation feels like, oh, that's a good idea. And some that we think, hmm, there's no way. There's no way we would talk about that right now. We wouldn't even talk like that. Because for some of us, sex is just recreational. For some of us, sex is just transactional. And I think God is inviting more. Because sex isn't the ultimate, but it is a piece so if the glue isn't good right now, what do, we, what do we do about that? So for those of us who are in, in, in marriages, there are ways to talk about that, okay? Once I'm clear on kind of what's going on for me, and once I've talked to the Lord about it, um, you know, sitting down together as spouses and being able to say, this is what's going in a good direction for me right now. This are, these are some things that, you know, we could maybe pay attention to. There are ways to say it without sounding judgy or critical. And P.S., if you were listening to your spouse share something about that, it will benefit you so much to move into um, a posture of curiosity versus defensiveness. Um, it, it, it's, just, it's just a posture swift shift of, okay, how can, how can I love you more? How can we make this better for us? Um, another way, to, if we're talking about sexual skill in particular, another way to do that is like, here are things, a car metaphor, right? Like, here are things that are accelerators for me, and here are things that are decelerators. Like, here are things that get me going, here are things that don't. And don't ever do this naked <laughs> right after sex. This is a good conversation to have at the table with a cup of coffee at 10.30 on a Saturday morning when the kids are busy watching cartoons. Um, th this is a conversation you're going to want to keep, keep safe, right? And speaking of safe, it's going to be really wise for me to pay attention to how safe I feel in the bedroom. And I'm not talking about um, necessarily just physical safety. 
but emotional safety and mental safety and even spiritual safety. Um, like, can I, a Garden of Eden was like naked and unashamed, right? That's cool, naked and unashamed. So if I'm in the bedroom and I'm feeling ashamed about something emotionally, if Lance says something to me, which he wouldn't, but if he said like, well, you shouldn't feel that way, is that gonna feel safe? No, a piece of my heart is gonna feel negated. That doesn't mean he has to agree, but you know, to be a safe listener, and I can't control whether or not he shows up safe, but I can, I can show up safe. I can show up safe, and I can, um, I can protect um, the. I can protect this, and I can say what I need for this to be safe for us, right? Um, and for us to even come together and craft what we want this bedroom space to look like. Where, where have we been disconnected? Um, what would be great for us moving forward? And, you know, for those of you that think still at this point that marriage is, you know, then that's our license to have sex all the time and it's amazing forever, um, there the reality, there's a reality of babies coming into play and chronic illness and pain and menopause and erectile dysfunction and all the things that that's all normal. That's all going to happen. So um, getting good at talking about it now. And if we haven't been good, starting to be good talking about it, okay? Um, and it, it's, it's worth, it's worth the intentionality because for us to just show up and shove those pieces of our bodies together um, and then never talk about it, that, that's going to that's gonna sell us short. And if a sexual experience that's successful to us is just an erect penis and a lubricated vagina and intercourse and two orgasms, that's way too small a box because there's a whole landscape in front of us of connection that God's saying, this, this is good and I want good glue for you. So having the courage to scooch toward healthy is, is your heart is worth it. Your marriage is worth it. So I, I want to give us uh, just a, a few moments. If you were to close your eyes a moment and think about if there is a realm where there has been shame for you around sexual issues. Maybe it has to do with your relationship with your body. Maybe it has to do with the place you've taken your sex drive. Um, maybe it has to do with a way that you've um, treated your spouse in a way that has, was less than honoring. And if God were to speak truth to that place, what do you think he's wanting you to know? What is he inviting you to? So Father, I do thank you that you care deeply about our sex lives, about the core of our femininity and masculinity, the core of who we are as people. Um, and God, I pray that you just breathe a freshness into some of these places that are uh, maybe stale, um, that you would breathe healing into places that are wounded, that you would cultivate connection in places where there's distance, whether that's us with ourselves, us with you, or for those of us who are married, us with our spouse. Thanks, God, that um, you fulfill our deepest desires in ways that we couldn't even imagine. Um, let's pray, Father, that you provide an overwhelming measure for every person here, what they need in this realm. 
and continue to go before them with your truth and your goodness. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Um, all right, so I'm going to give you guys uh, a little homework. You ready? Homework number one. Uh, I want you to find a time this week every single day. Make it lunch. Make it when you first wake up. Make it before you go to bed. I don't care what. And if you have asked Jesus to forgive you, I want you to remind yourself in his presence that he has by simply telling him thanks. Just say thanks for forgiving me, God. All right? Because quite honestly, a lot of us need to actually uh, be reminded that we have been forgiven, right? That our lives are being transformed. That we're not perfect, but that we're moving towards this. So you need to remind yourself that God has forgiven you. That is your new identity. You are holy because of Christ. All right? Homework piece number one. Super simple. You can all do it. Now, if you're married... Or single, this applies to both of you. But here's what I would like you to do as a piece of homework. If you're married, I want you to have a conversation about sex this week. Do it at a table, over coffee, a la Sarah, rather than naked laying in the bed. Okay? So you might start it with, how is sex for you? I don't know. Sarah, would you have any other questions you might say we should ask? All right. That's a good one. She's an expert, too, so that's good. So uh, if you're not married, okay, you're like, well, I can't have that question. Um, this is what I want you to do. Hopefully, you have some form of community, all right? Everybody needs it. I want you to talk to either your roommates who love Jesus or maybe it's your small group. Uh, I want you to have a question with them and say, uh, what are some of the things that I've thought about sex or that you've thought about sex? Do they line up with what I heard? Am I having the conversation with God, with myself? What are the places that I have moved towards maybe some unhealthy actions because of something going on in here? So the, the, the homework is really, uh, what's happening inside? Are you having that kind of internal conversation, dialogue? Cool? 